0: Today on the show, we're talking about harnessing your financial emotions. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name is Courtney, I'm your host, and today I'm Jonathan Trevor, and we're talking about our financial emotions.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people believe that they are their logical brain is doing all the work, but I have read a lot of things and listened to different things and done some' I've done a bit of research and I truly believe this to be true that your emotions make most of the decisions in your life, and your logical brain tries to create sound reasoning to support that emotional decision and and there's a lot of studies that support this, but we i think people truly believe that they are making the decisions. In a logical manner, when really they're not.
0: I'm still processing that. That is so powerful. And is this is this something that we? I mean, I didn't think this to be true until you just said it. But I'm just sitting here. I'm like, yeah that that is true.
1: Well, think of the decisions you make. So let's just. I'll give you an example. Like, just say I wanted to buy Bluetooth earbuds. Wow, <laughs> so, something I do every now and then. And let's just say I said, you know what, I found a really awesome set. I have six earbuds <laughs> already, and, and it's fine. there's seven it's fine. days. There, there's seven days in a week, so logic would say I need one more, right? Like that—that's crazy reasoning. But you can reason anything out. But if you think back, you quite often are reasoning things out after the fact. Very rare. Like when I think about myself, I do most of my reasoning after the fact. You know. It, 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 a lot of times it shows up as justification and you might be just doing your head. You're not even saying it out loud, but the, the logic comes in after the decision has already been made in a lot of cases.
0: So let's talk about this logic versus emotion kind of balance. Does this appear in in your opinion, in every aspect of our life, or is this something that's just really prevalent in the financial, uh, financial arena?
1: Well, if everybody used Logic to buy cars and trucks, right, just say everyone used Logic, I would expect to see a lot more sky blue minivans with beige interiors <laughs> driving around in my neighborhood because those things would be dirt cheap, right? If people were using Logic, you wouldn't see uh, shiny, extravagant vehicles driving around. I mean, Logic doesn't support a $65,000 truck being driven around like a car, right? There's no logic behind that. When people buy houses... They are buying houses on emotion. They really are. I so, so I, I mentioned these two because these are generally the two biggest purchases you're going to make. People buy cars or uh, buy houses based on emotions. I mean, when you go look at a house, you so even if you're choosing an apartment to rent, your emotions are playing a far bigger role than your logic. I mean, you're if you were using pure logic, we'd all be living in shipping containers, right? Like, because it, <laughs> it it makes more sense. So I, I think. The, the two biggest things you spend your money on is logic. And let's just use just a day-to-day thing. You buy groceries and you're filling your cart. How much of that stuff in your cart is emotional things versus logical things? Like like if you're looking at the stuff you're putting in there, if you're putting in there because it tastes good, that isn't logic that's that's supporting that purchase. That That is emotion.
0: Wow, that that concept, it's... It's, it's so novel and, and, and amazing and powerful, powerful for the first, uh, financial space.
1: So, uh, and I'm, I'm going to say even, so let's just go back to buying a car. So you see, so you're buying a truck. If you ever see a, a contractor, like somebody who has a truck th- they use to make money with, it looks dramatically different than the truck that people are buying for just everyday driving. The, the contractor's truck, the, the guy who's, who's using it to earn a living they're they're very plain, you know, Not no fancy wheels. They're generally white, you know, they're, they're not some elaborate color. They're just pure, it's just purely a piece of machinery that these people need. And that truck was bought with Logic because they know exactly what they're going to do with it. They know exactly how it's going to be used, how long it's going to last. Logic is the whole purpose of, of buying that contractor's truck. The average truck on the street, they—you wouldn't even know they're the same make. They look so different.
0: So, in saying that, it kind of sounds like we can exercise control. And I, I do. I we're going to dive into this in a second. But it sounds like we don't always make f- uh, financial decisions based on emotions for all of our purchase decisions. Is—is is that correct?
1: Well, I, I think if the routine things, the things like when you're buying, okay, another one's clothes. When you're buying clothes, say you're buying a winter coat. This is a good one. How? So it's different depending on your age. So someone who's in their 50s, if they're buying a winter coat purely based on logic, that is 100% logic. In fact, a 50-year-old person buying footwear, chances are it's all logic-based. But when you're in your 20s, there is zero logic coming into clothing and footwear purchases. Zero. So this is something that evolves over time. It, it, as you get older, I, I think logic has more and more of a role in your decision making. And when you're younger, I think it's more emotion based.
0: And I think there are definitely other characteristics, uh, such as personality, that may come into play too if, when we're talking about making decisions based on emotion.
1: Now I want to say there's nothing wrong with using emotion for decision making, but don't pretend it was logic. Like, just know that that, that logical reasoning. It, it, I think we we all do it, right? We like it, it's not something you can turn off and on, but just be aware of it. I think is the most important thing.
0: Well, you say be aware, and I think the funny thing about this is that we might not ever or always be aware that we are making decisions based on emotion. I mean. I didn't even realize that making decisions on emotion was a thing before we had this started having this conversation today. I mean, it is something that we are not consciously aware of, I believe at least.
1: Well, you recently moved from an apartment to a house that you're renting. How much of that decision that you, in selecting the place that you currently live, was emotion versus logic? Like, how did you choose the place you're in right now?
0: Because it was pretty. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, no n- in- it's it's a great it's a great layout it's it's a great location it's it's uh it has very i cottagey vibes so in retrospect in hindsight i am going to hardcore admit that this the this this home that i'm in right now it was based on emotion and again there was a million reasons why logically i thought it made sense but again that in hindsight came definitely after making the. The decision to live here um, from emotion. and it's actually funny. It was the other way around. I was it just when you are obviously finding a place to live you, the, the math obviously has to make sense. So my heart kind of fell in love with the place I'm at right now. And then afterwards, I went to the justification of 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 figuring out the math would make sense and kind of trying to make the math make sense.
1: Well, I remember when you told me about it, the thing you kept repeating over and over is you need more space. And this so when you're talking about living accommodations, a lot of times you will hear people talk about square footage in space because that is the only logic they can sort of bring into the equation. The other one that people will say with the house is it's an investment. You know, that's the logic that that's people trying to use logic to justify or reason out why they did what they did when in fact emotions were driving it. And there's nothing wrong with you using emotion to choose a place that you live right now. But I think it's pretending that it was logic, that you, you think you, you, your, your logical reasoning is sound. And, and quite often, for all of us, including me, it's not.
0: So what you're saying is it's just important to, to realize where the decision is coming from. And we will get into that later in the show. So, Trevor, the title of this episode, Harnessing Your Financial Emotions, I love it. I love that word, harnessing, because when it comes to our emotions, a lot of the times we may feel that we are victim of our emotions, regardless if it's a financial decision or not. So when we bring the word harnessing in, how do we harness the control and and, and kind of relinquish that back to ourselves and, and, and feel like we are in control of that decision?
1: Well, I I think it's important to know that you have less control over things going on with particularly with your emotions than you think you do. We like to think we're in complete control, but we actually have very little control. I'll give you an example. Just this isn't financial related, but just say you're driving down the road and somebody in front of you is driving really slow. I'm talking like way below the speed limit, walking speed. (laughs) We've all been there. they're driving really slow and it doesn't even matter why getting angry and you know passing this guy and and, and flipping the bird to them that makes you feel like you controlled that situation but but you that was just a reaction there was no control going on there whatsoever so i think it's important to submit to the fact that your emotions are in charge and we have far less control than we think we do. So, so if you can submit to that and accept that and, and and not pretend that you are making logical decisions, then, then you start to get motivated to put in place a framework to, to build a value system that will drive your decisions and actions. To me, that's the key. Once you, you submit to the, the, the idea that you, you, this isn't something you can control. You, this isn't. There's no on and off switch to this. That will motivate you to build a value system around your decision making.
0: Ooh, I love that. And we will go on to talk about that value system uh, later on in the show. Trevor, does, does feeling these emotions that that must that especially in personal finance realm that must make us human. I mean, there's no weakness where I, I'm going to say it again. we will probably say it again through the episode. There's no weakness to, to feeling those emotions around financial decisions, something that in theory it should be hard numbers.
1: Yeah, I would say, so because we're dealing with dollars and cents, we, we think that it, it, it should be logic based, but I, I like, it, we say this all the time. Personal finance is 90% behavior, 10% math. Like It all comes down to your behavioral things and the emotions driving those. The problem with making emotional decisions with your finances, the problem, the real problem is when you evaluate those decisions or other people evaluate your decisions, they are able to, or you are able to, after the fact, use logic to evaluate them. And sometimes they look like bad decisions because you you have the luxury of, after the fact, of applying logic because you're not in the heat of the moment. And I, I think... Just by submitting the fact that most of our decisions are made based on emotion, don't judge them with pure logic, because you'll just be beating yourself up.
0: I love this point. I'm glad you mentioned it because this this whole point, this 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 what you just said there, really is the reason why we we may look over at our neighbor who purchased a sixty five thousand dollar truck and and kind of scratch our head in confusion. But meanwhile, there was this this hard, hardcore emotional derive that, I mean, you can, you can rationalize anything. You, you talked about blind, buying a seventh pair of Bluetooth headphones, not saying those real numbers, but pretend you were buying a seventh pair. I mean, you can rationalize anything. So th- this, I think this piece is that missing link between well, I personally don't understand another person's decision. Again, we're, we're not out here to judge other people's decisions, but this is kind of that, that piece that, that that's missing.
1: Well, and quite often, you can recreate logic in decision-making over and over and over. In fact, in businesses, that's what they do. They come up with a sound logical model, and they just reuse that model for decision-making all the time. The problem is in your personal life, when you're making decisions, financial decisions with emotion, you can rarely recreate that emotional setting again. That, that, that exact same emotion that drove you to do this, you, you can recreating that instance over in, in an emotional space is, is almost impossible. So, and this is why big corporations tend to have a lot of success, like say, a company like Apple. They, there's a, decisions in in a, in a corporate environment are rarely made with emotion. In fact, there's safeguards put in place to ensure that emotions do not drive decision making, but logic does.
0: So you did mention that a lot of the time, most of the time, emotion does come into play. So, so I do want to ask you, how do we know? What are the kind of defining factors that we can kind of be aware of? Um, When emotion does come come into play, what can we look out for? And if you were to put a rough percentage on it, how often of the time do you think that we are actually, if we think hard about it, making decisions based on emotion?
1: Well, I think emotion is coming into play all the time. So, and and I'm, there's four basic emotions. Like if these exist, then I'm saying you're probably making uh, a decision based on emotion. So the obvious one is excitement. I mean, if you are excited in making a decision about a, a new car, a new truck, or a new home, or even a new article of clothing, if you're really excited about you know, getting the into this car or getting this piece of clothing on, chances are your emotions driving this decision for the most part.
0: And you know why I love excitement is because you don't have to create your own excitement. There are teams of marketers that that they they thrive on this this emotion of excitement and and put you into that frenzy to to make you feel like that that feeling should be satisfied.
1: Uh, and I agree that that's that's what and that's the obvious one excitement but another one and this is is not so obvious is sadness. And this will come into play and not that I'm saying you shouldn't support charities but this is what charities kind of uh, they tr- they're trying to drive the sadness emotion for you to contribute to their cause and th- this is and, and they'll do it through you know uh, photos that are, put somebody in a very uh, a sad light you know and it, they're they're really playing on your emotions and that to me is a i mean if you feel s- sadness and you're opening your wallet i'm not saying don't donate to a worthy cause but don't lose your mind at the same time
0: the third one here is anxiety, and I mean this one comes across in a number of ways.
1: And so, and this is one where a lot of times, just say there is a problem in your life, and you just say something breaks in your house or your roof leak. Well, that's a bad example. of Roof leaking. Just quite often, we'll try to throw money at a problem to hope it go, and hope it goes away. So you throw money at something and hope that you know, something stressing you out, I'll say a home repair. And, and you might just just to get this problem solved, you might spend, you know, overdo the repair, just to get it out of your life that that, that problem in your life. If you feel anxious, and you're opening your wallet, chances are it's an emotional thing you're doing, you, you may look back with some sound logic later and, and wish you hadn't done that.
0: Two other things about this point. This one could be an easy one to justify because if we are kind of over exercising our our financial decision, just spending a little bit more than we need, this one's kind of easy to justify. Oh, I bought the extra extra step up because it would do this or I bought that the extra heavy winter jacket because or the extra expensive winter jacket because it'll last a little bit longer there there's a lot of ways that we can kind of I think actually with any of them but this one specifically stands out as one that we can kind of justify a little bit more heavily and we might not always reach back to identifying that it was emotion that drove our decision
1: well this one often shows up as a, as a form of insurance you know this is where I see it a lot is if you just say you're, this is one where you get it all the time. just say you're buying uh, a big screen TV. And when you're at the checkout, they'll say, do you want to buy the, uh, the warranty upgraded warranty with this? It's since it's, it's only $300 and it, it adds two years to the warranty all that it comes with the TV. You, you must've heard those oh, yeah. before. It, and as soon as you hear that, you think like, it's, it's, that's a, if you do end up buying that warranty, which for record, I don't think you ever should. Uh, it's your anxiety that's driving that, that the, the anxiety mo- emotion and, and people are, they, they try to sell you that warranty at just the right moment in time, like exactly when you're opening your wallet. So I, 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 I would caution people, do not fall victim to this one. The, the markup, or, uh, the profit margin on these extended warranties is, is, is outrageous for these people.
0: And then we obviously can't forget the the one that comes to mind such as Costco's whole platform or any other retail store that is it has sales and sale based platforms
1: actually that's that's a good point Costco with their their model of scarcity mm-hmm. you, know, you if it, if I don't buy this now I, I may never get it that's anxiety that's driving that 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 anxiety motion is driving that purchase
0: and i mean <laughs> By the time you get to uh, the checkout, I mean, you've had to exercise, you've had to exercise kind of self-will, self-power that your anxiety is probably subconsciously through the roof and you're, you're, you're more weakened and probably more susceptible to, to uh, partaking in the scarcity.
1: Actually, I think Costco's designed to actually work every single one of these emotions. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> when I think of it. It's, they're all there.
0: And the last one is anger. So Trevor, how does this one come out to play?
1: Well, the only I I was struggling. So I was kind of looking at these four emo, basic emotions and saying, you know, how could they drive financial decisions? And I, I think anger could come into into play. Just say you're having some legal issues and you um you kind of want to punish somebody in your legal, and this is not a legal podcast, I'm not giving legal advice, but you could lose your mind in something like that, in letting anger get the best of you in terms of, uh, you know, in in anything in law, you, the advice I've always been given is try to mitigate your losses. And if you bring emotion into any legal battle, a lot of times anger will do just the opposite of mitigate your losses.
0: And they're kind of scenario or time that this might come to play is I know I felt this kind of intense rage of anger if if something of mine broke and then you're kind of your first instinct is to rush up to the store to replace it or, or something along that lines where you're overtaken by just kind of just negative um intense emotions um that that the drive you to kind of when you calm down you you, you still you can kind of justify the decision because and it, it, it ended well, in, per se, because you kind of repurchased something that was broken. But th- that's kind of an, the only other time I can think of that this might come into actually, play. Actually,
1: that's a fabulous one. And here's a good example, is you buy the the standard duty whatever, and then it breaks, and you go out and you're so mad, you buy the heavy duty version, Ooh, industrial yes. version. And actually, I know this happened to somebody, so th- this is a true story. Uh, I I knew somebody that they had a, a half ton pickup truck and they bought a fifth wheel trailer and they ended up wrecking the transmission in their truck because the trailer was too heavy for their truck oh, so wow. what they so what they did is they went out and bought a three-quarter ton truck diesel and it was outrageously expensive and they uh, i think you know in talking to them they overdid it in in order to tow this trailer i uh, Getting a lighter trailer, I guess, wasn't an option, but (laughs) that—that's an example where uh, anger got the best of those people.
0: Yeah, it's almost like I'll show that tracker, I'll show that trailer, I'll show that extension cord.
1: And there's one more that could come into play, and I'm going to say compassion. And there's nothing wrong with any of these emotions, and there's nothing wrong with spending money with these emotions happening. Just be aware that that it, that's what's driving it. So compassion is another one, uh, particular as it relates to people close to you. You might feel, you know, compassion to somebody and throw money at them when maybe they're not acting as financially responsible as possible. They might be making, you know, somebody in your life might be making bad financial decisions. They you f- they end up on hard times. You feel sorry for them, and then you. You give them money and, and it's your compassion, it, that emotion that's driving that, not the logic that maybe this person needs some schooling and how to manage their finances.
0: So I love that fifth point. and And compassion is definitely different than sadness because it kind of pulls on different heartstrings. But um, compassion, I think, is one that we know our emotions are coming through, but that logically we may feel it's our duty or our responsibility or... If, 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 you're, if you're a parent, maybe you feel it's your, it's your obligation. There's, I think there's a, like a mound of, of ways that we can logically rationalize this. But at the same time, I think we're also aware that emotions are coming through for this one.
1: And we're going to talk about this later, but having a, a value system to deal with your finances is the solution to not letting your emotions get the better of your finances.
0: So Trevor, question for you with these five ways that we know we're making an emotional based decision, kind of the, the five emotions that may come up, which one for you is the hardest to not fall victim to personally? And then at a societal level, which one do you think that we generally fall victim to uh, most easily?
1: So that is a really good question. So from, I, I'm going to answer your, your second question first. Most people fall victim to excitement you know, that, that is the, the common one. But for me, it's anxiety. I'm a very cautious person and I tend to, you know, we mentioned that the heavy duty thing, I, I'm, I'm working on this, but I tend to buy the, the heavy duty version of things just in case I, I, I add just in case to the end of a lot of things I do. <laughs> but, but anxiety is, is the emotion that gets the best of me most of the time. Now, what about you, Courtney?
0: I'm going to have to go with anxiety as well, because as like you, I am very cautious, but I, yeah, I am definitely a worrywart at heart. So I think anxiety is definitely my um, Achilles heel. And I think it's important too, when we identify our, our, our kind of, maybe our most, uh, our weakness, I think it's important to be aware of that as well. I mean, I'd be interested to hear for our listeners too, which when they Kind of fall victim to more more readily because then you, in those scenarios, you can have your guard up, you can be aware, you can be prepared, you can walk into a situation knowing that you might feel a little bit vulnerable here, um, but that you should take a moment to kind of reevaluate the situation you're in.
1: Well, and this is one where you, when you build your value system, you if you know which one you're more susceptible to, then that's the one you build your value system around. And that's a very good point. Now, I know somebody who Their weakness is without question sadness. This person donates to every charity I've ever heard of and some I've never heard of. So this person donates and hats off to that person, but they, I think they're doing this to their financial undoing. I I think they donate beyond their financial means.
0: And when we are talking about these emotions, it's, we all experience these. So when we, we if there's a cruise or, or something, I'm going to play into number one here, excitement. I think that we all, we all can kind of empathize with, with that individual in the scenario and then, we, log- we rationalize it and add logic to it ourselves because we do have the ability to feel empathy. We might feel anger for that person who can't pull their truck. We might feel anxiety for that person who, who's getting that insurance, who's in the checkout before us. We, we can kind of feel those things. So I think never once, even when other people are making decisions, we kind of stop and, 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 and maybe realize that emotion is at play. It's something that just gets kind of buried within um, us at a societal level.
1: So I agree with you. I, I can often reason out somebody else's excite, excitement decision. I can often reason that out as like you're describing. But I, I do know people that make decisions out of anger and I struggle to reason those out. And of course, I can, I can reason out anybody's anxiety decisions just like you're, you're, you and me probably both can quite easily. But the people who make decisions out of anger, and I've, I've witnessed this, I struggle to reason out to apply logic to their emotional decision.
0: Which, again, is important for you to personally identify within yourself because you know that that is one. Because you look at it more logically with other people, that it's not one that you fall victim to um, more than the the other ones.
1: In fact, if you are more susceptible to anxiety, you probably are least susceptible to anger as a financial, emotional decision-making thing So you probably, so if somebody were to come, if you were to reach out to somebody and say, can you help me with this decision? I I shouldn't be asking you because you share the same emotional weakness I do. I should be approaching somebody who perhaps I know they struggle with anger. They might be able to better help me reason out an anxiety-related decision.
0: Ooh, I love that. I love that balancing out because, of course, someone's going to back up your decision to buy that seventh pair of Bluetooth headphones in case you lose one. That's that's a thing. It's going to happen.
1: Yeah, so, and, do you
0: and and, wife, and so, do you and your wife? Do you and your wife share um, opposing uh, emotional based decisions? Just to kind of look at, a, at an example of a partnership.
1: That's a good question. Uh, I think she she shares the anxiety with me, but not to my extreme. I think, I think she's a, she's what you would call a cautious person. So anxiety as an emotion would come into a lot of her decision-making, but not to, m- I, I'm at an extreme point that, that I need help, you know, making decisions. <laughs> and so, uh, I, I would say we share this, but I think if you want to build a support system, somebody to reach out to and say, like we talked about mentors, if you want a mentor, it should be somebody who don't reach out to somebody who shares the same financial or emotional weakness. Weakness, I I think weakness is a bad word. The the emotion that you're most susceptible to in your financial decision-making.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's really, really sound advice. So those were the five layers where emotional-based decision-making comes into play. So we know that we are all going to feel different emotions based on the scenario, based on the environment, based on where we are in a mental space. We're all going to feel these emotions. So the big question at play here now is, what are some ways, some strategies to control our emotions when making financial decisions? So we have a list of five ways that we can kind of reel in our emotions and, and and make sure the emotions don't run wild. So number one here is don't rely on your gut. And Trevor, I'm guessing this means that gut feeling that we, it's, it's a phrase, we've heard it before, and we sometimes we even use it.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, everybody has a gut feeling, in particular, just say you're buying a house, it, you you, I don't want anyone buying a house without some sort of gut feel about this house, but make sure it's not the, the, the one thing driving the decision. Make sure there is some logic built into it. Make sure you are looking at all the pieces. Like it, it is so important that your, your gut instinct is not the, the, the biggest input to your decision-making.
0: So how do you take that step back? How do you kind of remove yourself and your gut feeling enough to kind of look at something logically if your heart is sold on it based on any one of the, uh, the emotional-based uh, decision rationales that we, we maybe become susceptible to?
1: Well, the money part of this show is, is in the, at the end where we, I, I explain my value system. So it's having a sound value system in place for making financial decisions. That That is the only way around your gut feel driving your decisions.
0: So just kind of re- we're resorting back at all times that value system, again, that we will get to. So that's number one. Number two is pause and come at it from a different angle. So when we talk a different angle, what, what does that entail?
1: So I, I think it's just saying, like, just say you're buying a, a $65,000 truck and you you really believe you need this because you your your family's growing and you've got a trailer you're pulling and you you've come up with all these these things. I would say pause and say you know what would my life look like if I didn't buy this truck? For instance, I recently bought a a small SUV. I needed to replace my car, and I thought about buying a car instead because it'd be better on gas. But but it it would be it was it would be smaller. And it have less space for carrying things around, so I tried to picture my life, what it would be like with with just a car, and I, I knew my emotion was driving this SUV purchase for the most part. So I just came at it from another angle, and and I I seen some some situations where it, it wasn't going to work. So I, I I think I still made an emotional purchase in in the end, but. I did try coming at it from a couple of angles and in, in the the most important one is is look at it and say, what would my life look like like if I didn't do this? You know, what 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 kind of void or what kind of sacrifice would I have to make?
0: That thought right there, that question that you ask yourself in that moment, that it sounds really humbling in a way to kind of snap yourself out of whatever emotion you may be intensely feeling do you does that happen a lot for you do you actually actively ask yourself that question in particular moments or is that just a subconscious process that happens now
1: well it's actually a visualization i do and, and so i i would take a for the in this case i took a, a car for a test drive so i took an suv for a test drive then i took a car for a test drive and while i was driving that car i i i actually drove home and pulled in my driveway with it and I did a sort of a visualization of my day-to-day life with this car and thinking you know is this going to meet my needs and the funny thing is I, I said you know what I think this would be more than adequate to meet my needs that was the the logical decision I came through to I I still let my emotions get the better of me and I, and I bought the small SUV instead uh, I'm I, I won't go as far to say I'm regretting it but I'm I'm still certain I could have managed quite nicely in a car.
0: But I mean, logically, if we're going to bring logic into it, you did own a small SUV before. So maybe for you, that logic was that you were able to kind of do the activities you like to do and fit that all in your vehicle because it was a small SUV. Is that, a, is that so an example of logic or motion?
1: Well, so what I did when, I, when I, I know I needed to replace that small SUV, I said, I, I, all I thought was all the things that I, I couldn't do with a car. That, that's all I was thinking about, is thinking about. And so I just, I, I went tunnel vision to all the things I couldn't do. I didn't look at it and say, but how often do I actually do those things?
0: Oh, wow. You know? Yeah.
1: And that, that's where I didn't come at it from the other angle. I didn't say, I didn't ask that other question. Well, how often do I actually put stuff in the back of this thing? Like, how often do I do that? And I didn't. I didn't come at it from that other angle strong enough to alter my decision. So I really think I made a. a, a so this is the thing with anxiety. Anxiety, the emotion, anxiety. I worried about. I'm going to be stuck where I wish I had this thing, and I don't. That that's what drew, was driving. It. Not excitement, but worry. I was worried that I would have a a vehicle that didn't meet my needs, as it, as random and seldom as those needs arose. I wanted to make sure. I, I had that as, as an available thing just in case.
0: I love that. that. That speaks so loudly to how important perspective is as well, because in, in that scenario, buying that car, which is, again, something we'll all, a lot of us will do within our life, any, one per, there could be five people on a, on a car lot picking a car out that day, all experiencing um, one of the five different um, emotions. So that is powerful.
1: Now, one thing I didn't do when I was buying the house that I live in now, I used more logic than I did uh, emotion and it was my value system that that drove the decision. It, it was that value system that kept me from buying a bigger house than I actually needed.
0: So we, we are going to get to the value system because I am intrigued to, to understand how you did that. One of the biggest purchases that we might make in our life. Um, But first, we are going to finish this list. We are on number three. Number three is write it down, whether that means a pros and cons list as which you've listed as one of the examples or any other kind of methods that allow you to write it down. And when we say write it down, are we physically talking about writing it down?
1: Yeah, this is pen to paper. And the reason you do this, the reason you write it down is when you start writing pen to paper, it awakens the logical brain. When you have to write things down, it, 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 that's not an emotional action, writing. The, it, it, the, the thought about what you're going to write might be emotional. But when you start writing things down, it, it, it does two things. One is it, it awakens your logical brain. So now logic is going to start to come into play here. And visualizing, seeing the, so pros, and as so mm-hmm. the pros and cons of examples. If you write down the pros and cons of a particular thing you're thinking of buying, and you, you look at it on paper, and you read it, it's no longer, no longer is it voices in your head. It's something you're reading on a, on a page. It, and then maybe you'll even say it out loud because you're reading it. Remember voices in your head, they can just run crazy. But when you, when you say something out loud, it it might not make sense anymore. So if you write it down and then you just read aloud your pros and cons, you might say, well, you know, this doesn't make any sense at all. And I, I have done this. So, and Writing things down and then, you know, going away and coming back, you, you, again, the voices in your head can't play games with you. You wrote it down. If you still feel the same way a day later and you look at that list and still, it still resonates, yeah, these pros are solid, then, you know, the, the voices in your head, they're, they're not in they're not control anymore. You're, you're reading something. You're coming back and visiting with a different mindset. So I, I, writing things down is, is a game changer for me.
0: And when it comes to writing things down, does this strategy, does this work for, and, and all these strategies, do they work for things that you really, really, really want to purchase or or, and, or or I guess things that also maybe make you angry to purchase or sad or excited? Does any, does writing it down work better in your opinion for, for certain um, emotions?
1: Well, I think it, it would work for all of them. It be, it, the, the key of writing it down and revisiting what you wrote down is your, the different emotions might be in place the second time you look at it. That's the, the, the power of writing it down, is you might, the emotional state you're in when you wrote it down and the emotional state you're in when you revisit what you wrote down might be different. And if you come to the same conclusion both times, then maybe you were using more logic than you thought.
0: That's powerful. I love that point. The next one, so this is four of five ways that we can control our emotions when making decisions is to get an external opinion.
1: So this one is, it, it often shows up in the, in the terms of hiring a professional. So just say you, you are investing and you, you really like the idea of buying Netflix stock. You know, it's exciting. I'm going to buy Netflix stock. You know, I watch Netflix all the time. I'm going to buy some other stock. I'm going to be part owner of Netflix. How cool <laughs> is that? Right? Right. Well, if you went to a financial advisor, they might say, well, that's not a, you know, I, I'm not saying it is or it isn't, but they might say that that's not a great stock. Well, your, your financial advisor is not using emotion when they're recommending stocks. They're, they're using logic. They're paid to, to look at a company and analyze its profitability. And it's just pure, pure 100% logic. But if you are buying stocks and selling stocks and you're doing it with emotion, I don't like your chances of succeeding. You might succeed in the short term, but the long term, I don't like your chances. So that's an example. Also, you should, like, if you have, again, this isn't a law podcast, but a lot of times if you have legal problems, there's a lot of emotion tied up in solving a legal problem. That's why you hire a lawyer, because they approach it without emotion. So... Get an external opinion. A lot of times it's in the form of hiring a professional. Sometimes it could just be input from a friend. Like we talked earlier, somebody who, who doesn't share the same emotional weakness that you do. So getting input from somebody else and hopefully they're not emotionally involved in your decision and they can just give pure logic. I know somebody who's in the market to buy a, a house and they are they really want to get, a house now like they're not interested in waiting and my input to this person was we are in a pretty hot housing market right now if you could wait 6 months or a year things might cool off in fact I, everyone thinks there's a recession just on the horizon i've been calling it since 2016 so that's how <laughs> good i am but but it should be you know conventional wisdom would say it's just around the corner and you know this market is about to crash so i uh, my uh, i don't have a an um an immediate housing need like this person does but my my logic says wait
0: and i do want to note with with this point specifically is that there I, I feel like there could be a lot of tension between the individual who's seeking an external opinion and the the individual off, offering an external opinion because usually it's or not usually but but almost always um, it's maybe something you don't want to hear or it's contrary to to what you you would like to hear or want to hear. And but that's also so powerful. So I think it's important as the person seeking the opinion to go into the conversation, let that person know you literally just need so much logic because you are so emotionally invested. I think having that conversation, knowing uh, where you stand, and and knowing and admitting that your emotions are invested in its decision is so important.
1: Here's one where where actually I I had hired a professional. So when I was buying the house, I bought now I had a real estate agent and this is the best real estate agent I have ever had in my life. This, this lady is retired now, so I, I can't even promote her. But I was look at a house here in the, in this town and I'd put an offering on it and I really liked the house. And we got into, uh, uh, signing back and forth. Like, you know, we, we offered a certain amount that then the vendor, they, they counter offered and we were going back and forth. And I remember saying to my agent, I said, I don't want this one to get away. And when she heard me say that, she said, "We are out." And I go, "What are you talking about?" She goes, "There's the the vendor signed back at this house. It is no longer good value, and your mindset is that you you're going to you want this house regardless of of what you're going to pay for it." So she, she my real estate agent talked me out of overpaying for a house, and I'm so glad I listened to her. She looking back, I was so wound up emotionally in this deal. And she was pure logic. And she was just doing math saying the price they want, it is no longer value. We're out. And that was the best real estate agent I have ever had.
0: That I I have to admire. That's incredible. So the fifth and final way that we suggest that you can control your emotions when making a financial decision is don't marry yourself to an outcome. Make it about the process.
1: And this is where I'm as guilty as the next guy, but if you are married to a particular outcome, if you you are married to a, I'm going to say, let's go back to house buying. If you are married to living... Uh, you know you a very specific neighborhood in a very specific house you if you have no flexibility in your plan or your decision making then you are you you are doomed because any decision making you make when it comes to money it, there should be a process that you go through and yes there's going to be emotion that gets involved but there has to be some logic and if you already are married to an outcome, meaning I'm going to live in this neighborhood in a house that looks like this, you're, in, you're going to end up paying way too much for that outcome. People are going to smell on you that you have this predetermined idea in your head and you are, you're going at it with tunnel vision. Nobody's going to be able to change your mind. That shows up in any negotiation more than you could imagine.
0: So those are the five ways that we can control our emotions when making financial decisions. And now we are going to dive into the solution to making decisions and 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 working kind of with our emotions. So, so Trevor, uh, t- kind of let us in on this value system you've been talking about.
1: So a value system is it eliminates decision fatigue. So you just put in place these rules that you are going to live by financially. And whenever a decision comes up, you consult your rule-based system, these values you've set up, and it has to fit in there. So I've listed a bunch of mine and so one is
0: so before you dive into your your value system, how often should you reassess your value system? How or is this something that you set down in concrete? Because things are new things are kind of come up. And we I know we are going to dive into this list, but is this an evolving? Uh, how how when do you go back to reassess it?
1: So when I make a bad decision and I I, I make it based on emotion and I reevaluate that decision using logic, which everyone does. And I'm unhappy with what I did. I say, okay, in order to not make this, de- I'm going to end up with the same emotions again in the future. But in, to avoid this, I need a value in place that will deter me or, or will put in a, 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 limitation on my, my emotions. So here's a great example. So a car, when you're buying a car, I have said this in our used car episode, I, I, here's my value system. I I can't... If I have to borrow money for a car, it can't be for more than three years. So a 36-month car loan is it. That is the most amount of money... I, I have to be able to make payments on v- paying back this loan, and it has to be done over 36 months. So obviously, that limits the size of the payment you... The car payment you can make, right? So it has to fit in my budget and be paid off in three years. And... Just as, just in case that's not enough of a, of a value, it it can't the value of the cars in my driveway cannot exceed fifty percent of my annual household income. So if I'm out looking for a eighty five thousand dollar truck or a sixty five thousand dollar truck, those two limiting factors, yeah, I, I, those things are going to harness me in because, and I've put them in place ahead of time so I don't have to invent them or think about them with my emotions all wound up. So th- that's kind of, that's kind of like a, a pigeonhole, right? This decision has to fit into that perfect hole I've created.
0: So the numbers you've thrown out, those are ones that specifically work for you. Are these numbers that you're advising everyone on or, how, or if not, how do you, how do you, suggest that other people go around because obviously this having a kind of value system set in place for cars are so important but how do you suggest going about setting your own parameters and setting your own value system around this one
1: well you notice there was no specific numbers associated with my car so for me a car it, it the cars in your driveway cannot cannot exceed the, the value of the cars in your driveway cannot exceed fifty percent of your household income annual income so that's that there's no dollar value attached to that. That's just a, a parameter, right? And then if you need to borrow money for any of those cars, it can't be for more than 36 months. So again, I'm not saying how much you should spend on a car. I've set this parameter. So as my income grows, so does my, uh, the amount of money I can spend on a car. And so the next, the biggest purchase you will ever make is a, is a house. So I have a rule. If when I, obviously I'm not doing this anymore, but when I was shopping for a house, I my I had to be able to pay my mortgage off in 15 years. That was it. So I could look at every house in town, but when I when it comes to borrowing the money to pay for this house, I have to be able to pay it off in 15 years to because I have a master financial plan that I was I was working toward. So I I couldn't get taken away by the emotions of 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 house shopping with this parameter already set.
0: So but with these two, how do you how do you be realistic with yourself? If, if pretend we have an individual listening to this who is younger in life and, and maybe and, and maybe so maybe the math doesn't make sense. Maybe if they cannot purchase a car with a maximum three year car loan, maybe that person that purchasing that car isn't realistic. But how I mean, is that how how does an individual kind of maybe so pretend that a three year car loan won't work for the individual? How do they go about being very honest with themselves?
1: Well, you just keep looking for a, a cheaper and cheaper car until it does fit in those parameters. I, you can buy a car for a thousand dollars. I'm guessing anybody can pay that off in three years, right?
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: And and a thousand dollars you know, that's going to fit in somebody's 50% of anybody's annual income, right?
0: Yeah, no, it definitely so, would.
1: So I, there's no reason that you couldn't use those parameters for everybody who's in the market for buying a car. Now, the the 15-year mortgage, that's a little tougher if you lived in Toronto or Vancouver or or Calgary. That becomes a little more of a challenge. But I, I, did, I chose not to live in those places because that was a parameter I set for myself.
0: I like that. And, and I mean, anyone listening to this, if they're just kind of processing those two value systems alone, it, it's kind of like you're just saying to yourself, okay, yeah, it's not gonna work. And it, you don't—you ha- can kind of let go of, of any justification process you're working on because your rule book says no, and I, I love that.
1: And then your emotions don't get the best of you, right? Because you, you know you, you put this logical rule in place and your emotions cannot o- supersede that, that rule. Because you know, you from previous experience, you're going to hate yourself if you do.
0: Yeah, you're just being honest with yourself and, and, and very forthright. So Trevor, you've put together a list of some other ones that personally... Uh, work for you as for your value system. So I'm going to kind of go through them. And um, I'd be curious to hear from our listeners too, if if any of these resonate with them or what else is maybe they would include in their own value system. So your third point here, um, the first was the car loan, second was a mortgage. Your third point is I will never pay for a service I can do myself.
1: So this is one where I had someone come to the door selling a lawn care service and I was home by myself, and they were really pumping up the lawn care service. And I, I ended up, you know, I looked at my lawn, it looked terrible. And I said, you know what, I'm going to try it. Well, I, I could get a, a fertilizer spreader and plant grass seed my, myself. I, I did that a few years ago, and and I, I I hated myself after the fact. And my grass looked a little better, sure, but I could have did that myself. Another one where I've had people come to the door Wanting to do uh, seal your driveway, and my rule says no. I could seal my own driveway. I'll pass. So there's no decision fatigue there. If I can do it myself, I will do it myself. And if it's a specialty skill, then by all means, I'll hire somebody to do it. If I if I don't think I'm capable, but if I can, and you know what, with the with the magic of YouTube, you can learn to do a lot of things that you you've never done. So that's that's just a rule so when when somebody knocks at the door offering t- to provide a service if i think i can do it myself i just say no i don't get caught up in the emotion
0: so the next one on the list is i will not commute more than 30 minutes and how did you pick this magic number of 30 minutes and how's this really influenced, um, w- where you've lived and what you've done? Have you made any sacrifices and how long has this specific one been on your value system list?
1: So this goes back to when I had a young family. I, I put that rule in place that I would not commute for any more than 30 minutes each way to work. Cause I just didn't want to be away from my young family for, for that length of time. I didn't want to be spending you know, two or three hours a day on the road. So I I put that rule in place because when you're building a career and you're, you're chasing down job opportunities, you could get caught up in the excitement of, of a, of a, you know, a, a fancy job that that's an hour and a half away. And you, then you might come to say, Oh, wow, this commuting is killing me. Or I'm, I'm burning through cars like nobody knows, but you, you accepted that job in the heat of the moment, in the emotion. So I don't even, I didn't even look for jobs that were beyond a 30-minute commute. So it just, it was just a rule. So if I heard about a job opportunity somewhere, say somebody at work told me about, a, a, you know, somebody's advertising for an accountant somewhere, I would I would go look where that place is. I'd put it into Google Maps and say, well, I, I'm not willing to, just, you know, that's uh, an hour away, That that's not an option for me. And so it, it just, because I you'd hate to go to apply for a job like that, get offered the job. And then have the emotion come over you and then you'd have to decide then. So I put that value system in place that I will not commute more than 30 minutes each way to work.
0: And then one could argue, but Trevor, you could always move, but I, I, you mentioned in the past that kind of ensuring, ensuring for you, your family could be raised in, in one kind of location of something that it sounds like is on your personal value system. So I, I, well, there's well, always these a, reasons.
1: You raise a good point though. Just, just say that job would require me to move. Then there's some more logic I could be applying to whether I should accept that job or not. because. Knowing I can't commute that distance, it's not in my value system. The, if I want that job, I have to move. So now let's do some math on that. Just does it make sense to sell my house here, buy another house in that town? You know, is, is that logic sound?
0: So again, if you kind of put enough safeguards that if one kind of falls through, you can back up on another and, and build upon that sounds like that really will, will make sure your value system never fails. So the next one on your list is borrowing money for things that go down in value is not an option.
1: So this one, okay, obviously cars go down in value, but I already have a system built in for cars. So I'm excluding cars for this. So I'm not going to borrow money for ATVs. I'm not going to borrow money for, for trailers or RVs. I'm not going to borrow money for boats. I'm not going to borrow money for consumer electronics. So anything that goes down down in value, I will not borrow money for. It is not a but but you can see where you can get caught up. In, just say you went to an RV show and there was a great deal on RVs, and you you bought this fifth wheel trailer. Like you you can get caught up in the emotion of these things, but I that's for me. I I, I will not borrow money for things that go down in value. That is just not an option.
0: I really like this specific value because this value enables you to experience things. It enables you to go to an RV show with a friend or a bike show with with a friend or, or do things with other people and not lose your mind at the same time because you know in your back pocket. It reminds me, this whole list reminds me of that, the thing when we do our budget episodes, that, that great thing to say to friends who are like, oh, come on, just come on this cruise with us. Oh, come on, just just come out with us is, oh, it's, it's not in my budget. It's that, that, that sentence that you kind of say out loud that makes everything okay. And if, if for me, all these value systems are kind of that same really core justification where it's like, you know what? No, it's not in my value system. And, and so this kind of just enables you to, to feel, kind of takes away the anxiety.
1: And I would actually, our listeners, you need to build your own value system. My, mine might not work for you, but these are the ones that I have built up and, and they just, uh, I've. Think about it this way: you've pre-done the logic; it, it's the logic part's been pre-done, and then you know there's going to be an emotional part. But you you have this logic you can just pull off the shelf and say, "What does my logic say about this?" And it's right there.
0: Oh, I love it! I love it. So the next one is: credit cards are a form of payment never to be used for credit.
1: Now I say this all the time: if you need credit. There is far cheaper ways to get credit than with your credit card, but credit cards are incredibly convenient. They, you, you have the elimination of risk. So I use a credit card for almost almost exclusively for everything I buy, but I, I know exactly how much is on there. And I say I do. My wife does, <laughs> <laughs> but, but we know exactly how much is on there, and and it, it is paid off in way in advance. It is is strictly a form of payment. The, the minute I have a weak moment and I use that thing for credit like that I'm I will have lost my mind so it's not like I can say well, just this once right it's that it's yeah not, how
0: do you how do you get around that just that how do you, yes let's dive into a, this
1: but it's a value system just once doesn't work. I just remind myself that I have already applied a ton of logic to this value so why would? This emotional moment supersede all the logic that I've built into this very hard, fast rule.
0: That's great. I, I like that rationale. The next one, this is the third final point of of, of what is within your value system. And if we're, this this third last one is, I will never use the equity in my house as a source of money.
1: So this is a common thing people use it, the the abbreviated term the acronym is HELOC so it's a home equity line of credit so what happens is once you've got your house paid off or you've you've got uh, most of your house paid off the bank will let you use the equity in your home so you basically you 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 pull money out of your home to and quite often people use it to do home improvements that's a common thing and people feel good about that because they think well it's money from my house going back into my house but I've I've made a rule to myself that once I paid off my mortgage and I'm debt free, I'm never using that equity. That that is not something I can tap into ever. So, unless you've had a a, a home and a paid for home, no nobody would understand just how how tempting that could be. But and I know people that have bought, um, used the home equity line of credit and bought an RV with it. So, I mean, you could lose your mind with with that. But you you. If you go through all the effort of paying off your mortgage only to go and and basically go back into debt again for your house that's not something I'm interested in. So that temptation is never like when 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 you're the reason I mentioned RV, you go to an RV show and people the, the RV dealers will often suggest that, you know, if you have enough equity in your house, this is a great way to get yourself into an RV because RVs are so expensive. And I I just I've made that, like, that's not an option. I've done the sound reasoning already. I'm not going to go back into debt for anything.
0: So the second last value that you have in your value system is replacement decisions are based on an item's functional utility.
1: So if you're looking at, this is the common one. I go back to home renovations. People will often just say they need a new fridge. And they'll get a new stainless steel fridge. And then all of a sudden they say, well, my stove is white. My fridge is stainless steel. My dishwasher is hunter green. I don't know, gold. Uh, You know, I should get these things matching. And the other appliances work just fine, but they will replace them just for cosmetic reasons. So I have put in place a value system that I will not replace anything that is still meeting its minimum functional utility. So I have a washer and dryer that are from different eras. I mean, they don't look anything alike. The dryer seems to be lasting forever. The washer, they they tend to have a shorter life. I'm not replacing that dryer until it doesn't work. So when I I will not replace anything for cosmetic reasons. It is not something I do. And you can get caught up in the emotion of that, right? When you're in the, the big box store and you see the matching washer and dryer or the the matching fridge, stove, and, and dishwasher and and if you buy all three you get a bit of a deal. I am not replacing anything that still works. It is it's a it's a decision that's been pre-made with sound logic. So that that is not something I do.
0: And last but not least, your final value in your value system is never mix money and family.
1: So this one I'm going to say exclude your children from this because it, <laughs> As a parent, you you tend to want to support your children and, and help them out in life, and and maybe pave their path a little smoother than yours. So I I'm going to say, f- for me, this value system is is excluding my children. So when it comes to siblings, um, any other family members, loaning money, I mean I mean if somebody isn't going to lose their house, obviously I'm going to step in and help them. But g- g- loaning money to family members, it. I have never seen it really play out well. Other than parents and children, I I just I've I've seen lots of cases where family members will loan family members money and it it just ends I have never seen it end well. What what it has been doing is it ends up shifting control the, the relationship completely changes when you mix family and money. It's it's no longer a a a family relationship. It only, for one party, it becomes a business venture, a business relationship. So, and then, this is where the emotion, compassion can come in. But if you, if you are committed to never mixing family and money, uh, that decision's been pre-made with sound logic.
0: So, that brings us the end of our, Trevor's list of his values and, and embedded within his value system, Trevor. How long did this list take to comprise? And, and are, is it still evolving to this day, or is it pretty? Is it pretty uh, complete for based on where you are in your life right now?
1: Well, it's been evolving. I'll give you the example. So the the never mix money with family. Well, when I was younger. I might have been in a position to receive money from a family member. I never did, but just I that that might have, I might have been looked like somebody who needed money. And now that I'm older, I might look like somebody who could offer money. So this this rule needed to be revised. It hasn't changed. I never I never wanted to mix family and money when I looked like somebody who needed to receive money. I, I didn't want to receive it from anybody because I knew how, how ugly that could get. And now that the, I I've it's flipped and now i have some wealth and i look like somebody who could offer some money i still don't want to but for a con- different set of logic have been applied to it so the rule hasn't changed but the logic behind that rule has been altered so this list is forever changing so for instance I- i'm never going to borrow money for a car ever again i I'll- I-, I can just buy it i'm never going to have a mortgage again so those rules kind of fall off they- they're they not relevant to me anymore but I think this is, a, this is, a, this is a, a, whenever a decision, an emotional decision goes on, and, and you reevaluate after the fact with logic, like we all do, build in a value in your decision making process with that logic, you know, put it in place so it doesn't happen again.
0: And I think my final question for you is if I'm a listener and I've developed this incredible value system that resonates with me. And I break, I go against one of the values in my value system. How do you recover? How do you, I don't want to say get back on track, but how do you make that kind of renewed commitment to yourself that you will stay on track with your value system? What's what's that kind of underlying thing that's going to keep you going?
1: Well, I, I think if you keep getting burned by the, the same emotional financial decision over and over and over, uh, then clearly a value system is not going to work. Countering that one emotion, I mean, you really need to maybe get external. You know that that list of five items. You you might need to stop marrying yourself to an outcome or get an external opinion or write it down. You you may have to just build in controls rather than a value system. If if the if you keep getting burned by the same emotion over and over.
0: I like that. So that does bring us to the end of today's episode on harnessing your financial emotions. We went every, every way from talking about what are financial emotions, how do we control them, how do we know if we're making a decision based on Uh, emotions ways uh, ways to control emotions when making financial decisions and lastly how to develop a value system and examples of trevor's own values so uh, trevor before we end the show today is there any final thoughts or takeaways for our listeners when it comes to harnessing your financial emotions
1: yeah just know your emotions are making most of the decisions that's not a bad thing your, log- and your logical brain, you think it's working for you, but it's it's after the fact. So just just be aware that your emotions are driving most of your decisions and don't let them get the better of you.
0: And on that note, thank you so much for joining us on to- for today's episode on harnessing your financial emotions. If you have any thoughts or takeaways from today's show that you'd like to share with us, anything that resonated with you or any of the your own value systems that you use, and, and any ways that you really know and realize after listening to today's show that you make emotional decisions based on, let us know. You can always reach out to us via email at livelifesimple365.gmail.com at or through our contact submission form on our website at livelifesimple.ca. The show notes from today's show will be in um, our show notes and available on our website. Thank you so much for being here with us. We can't wait to have you back here with us for a brand new episode. Until then... Keep it simple.